Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This week's podcast is the first part of Ephesians 6 and the last part of Ephesians 5. It begins at Ephesians 5.21 and it's that whole submission passage. This is a passage along with several others that is often used to explain submission or complementarianism. However, I'd like to take a fresh look at it. In the New Living Translation, the passage reads as follows. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When we read this passage, it appears clear and unambiguous, and that's how many of us were taught to read the passage. However, I think it means something a little different to what it appears to say at first glance. For two reasons. One reason is the culture and beliefs of the people being written to, and the second is the language used. All too often people start this passage at verse 22, missing verse 21 altogether. This is a mistake, as I believe verse 21 is the key to this passage. When writing in the Old Testament, you will often see a story will start with a summary of what is to follow. For example, the creation story begins with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's a summary of what's to follow. Clearly we want more detail, but in the first verse we're told the very essence of the creation story. Paul uses the same device in beginning this passage by summarising the concept, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This isn't just husbands and wives, but parents and children. Bosses and employees, all relationships, should be characterised by mutual submission for Christians. This doesn't mean we're to be doormats, quite the opposite, but it means our roles should be defined by godly character, not simply by role or position. Duty seeks a role to do for people. Ambition seeks a position to have over people. But love Love seeks to honour others.
Paul wants us to know the lens we see this passage through as not our rights or their responsibilities, but that we act in reverence for Christ. This means that our attitudes to others should not be determined by how they act, but on how we reverence Christ. Mutual submission out of anything less than reverence to Christ is just about obligation, advantage and contractual behaviour. Not living in mutual submission is risking living away from a reverence for Christ. Submission is not a term for mindless obedience. Often in church circles this is taken to mean that wives should do anything that the husband asks. Imagine if the words we translate as submission have more subtle meanings in this context. The word used for submit means to arrange under. The Greek hupotasso is formed from two Greek words, hupo meaning under and tasso meaning to arrange. The idea is that of a military term where a general arranges the troops under his command for the purpose of winning a battle. Imagine Jesus tells us to submit to each other, as he does in verse 21, because he wants to deploy us for his kingdom. My wife and I have been married for love for nearly 30 years, but we are very clear we're a partnership, and please don't mistake that for complementarianism, and we need to submit to each other in our deployment by Jesus. My wife is deployed to do battle on my behalf. She has protected me assured my care, stood up for me, stood behind me, stood next to me. She still continues to do all of these things and protect me in prayer and intercession. I have been deployed to love my wife sacrificially, to love her as I love my own life, and to care for her, and to bring her to a point of perfection as Christ did the church. The letter to the Ephesians wasn't written in a cultural vacuum. It was written to Ephesus, a city dominated by one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana, or Artemis, as she was also known. There were a number of beliefs that were held by the followers of Diana. And there were things like, woman was created before man. She was a goddess of midwives, able to save woman the pain of childbirth. She was a perpetual virgin, but was celebrated with temple prostitutes. She was a supreme hunter who punished men who thought themselves better than her, and as a hunter wore short tunics, allowing freedom of movement. In her worship, women had the highest roles of priestesses. Does it make sense now when in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul mentions about Adam being born before Eve and God saving women in childbirth? Paul is not identifying random ideas, but addressing issues of belief that were in sharp contrast between Christ's followers and Diana worshippers. Paul was making sure that the people understood what it was to be a follower of Jesus, and that some of those ideas were very different to what they had been raised with. Here in Ephesians, Paul does the same thing. Talking about the washing of the word, in Diana worship, when the statue was ceremoniously taken out to the sea to be washed, it was celebrated with sex, not with your partner, but others as part of that worship. Paul was encouraging the church to act counter to the culture they lived in. Do you think it was countercultural for women to obey and submit to their husbands? No! 
that were what that's what was expected of them. Otherwise, they were no longer wives. What was radical for the followers of Jesus was not that they saw their wives as servants, but that they were in mutual submission. How radical! Jesus calls us to be mutually submissive in verse 21. Radical in a culture that demeaned and demanded wives be obedient. Jesus told husbands and wives to submit to each other out of reverence to him. How they were submissive was different for each group. The wives were submissive as people deployed for the kingdom and in their husband's care. And husbands were not to treat their wives as if they owned them, but to love their wives sacrificially. What could be more radical? Of course, the idea of submit is echoed by the idea of the husband being the head. This should mean that the husband is an authority over her. Actually, the word kafali, or head, is used to mean figuratively a head or the source, the origin, like a riverhead. Here again, Paul is calling us to be countercultural, not to accept the Ephesian view of men and women. The Ephesians believed men came first. They were the source, sorry, women came first. They were the source of men. The Bible teaches Adam came first and then Eve. The Ephesians believed women were to be obedient and treated by their husbands as if they owned him. Paul taught men should mutually submit to their wives by loving them as Christ loves the church. The Ephesians were taught sexuality was not exclusive and faith was how that was that it was celebrating their faith. Paul taught sex was an act of mutual submission. And that's clear too of 1 Corinthians 7. The cross calls us to live a life of radical difference. All too often people see this passage from verse 22. As this passage goes on, it mentions different relationships, none of which are to be characterised by control and power. Children are told to honour their parents and obey the Lord. There's no provision for parents to lord it over their children, but are told not to provoke them to anger. Again, the radical message of the cross. We are to live our lives characterised by love for others. Masters are not to lord it over their slaves. How radical is that? It makes perfect sense in chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. But then in verse 9 it says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In the same way? So this passage goes on to tell masters to teach their slaves and to treat them in the same way. But wives are to live lives of mindless obedience? That doesn't make sense. No, this passage takes three critical relationships. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves, and tells each group to let love and virtue characterise their relationship. The idea of a slave being treated by a master with care and kindness was as radical as it was unlike the culture of the time and city Paul wrote to. What is still radical 
as husbands and wives, living submitted to Jesus and each other, understanding their marriage is not just for one partner's pleasure, but the deployment of two people in the service of our King. Thank you for joining the Cultivate podcast. If we can help you with anything or you'd like some notes, please email us at crosscultivation at gmail.com. God bless.